for me, this is almost more a bit more of like a John Ford Western. So like a lot of the storyboards had shot through doorways of, of uh, the action or windows or, you know, all that kind of search stuff. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, two lifelong friends navigate a relationship impasse in director Martin McDonough's comedic drama, The Banshees of Inisherin. Set on a remote island near Ireland's west coast, the film follows the shocking series of events that ensue when Colum tries to abruptly end a lifelong friendship with Padraig while Padraig refuses to take no for an answer. In addition to The Banshees of Inisherin, McDonough's other directorial credits include the feature films Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. He was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film for his 2017 film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, McDonough spoke with director Jeremy Kagan about filming The Banshees of Inisherin. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Ah, filled with feeling, just just overwhelmed with feelings. All right, so my first Hi everyone. <laughs> my first question is when and where were you when you first learned about ban cheese? Oh, God. That is, I haven't heard that question before. All right. <laughs> yes. Good. Good beginning. <laughs> okay, that's one down. That's one to you. Um, I, get, I guess just growing up, you know, Irish, half Irish, whatever the hell I am, I can't remember. It, it's always been there. So it's probably from like three, five years old. That, and what were they like when you were early? What was, what was the image? And did you feel that they were real? I don't know. I mean, you knew it was a kind of a ghost story or a ghostly story, but um, it was like, I think usually an old kind of ghostly uh, woman who, you know, as the story goes, would wail to announce the death of someone in a house. But I think sometimes they would be, they could turn into a young woman too. But just the image I always had is like at the end of a dark country lane in Ireland, just someone out there. I, m- I remember like going to Sligo, at the age of like six or seven, and we tell each other ghost stories, and that I think stays from that memory of uh, of ghost storytelling at the Banshee Woman in a Dark. Talk about road. casting her, uh, Mrs. McCormick. As I was saying, she's a lovely, lovely lady, um, <laughs> just a great actress. She um, sent in a tape, and she was just perfect for it. Her line readings were amazing, but she just looked so the part. She looked. Um, beautifully spooky, <laughs> um, but just just a great actress. Do you ever get scared in this process? Scared of the whole directing thing? That too. Uh, or of or ghosts. Or just scared. <laughs> the ghosts I'm good with. Um, um, everything else I'm terrified of. <laughs> Including this kind of exchange. Um, <laughs> yeah. This movie, you would, you've got to say location, location, location. How did you find it? And what did you build? Ah, um, well, it's it's all west coast of Ireland. Um, we uh, prepped in Galway and Inishmore, one of the Aran Islands, the biggest of the Aran Islands, <clears throat> is where we shot uh, Porrick's house. And so we built Porrick's house at the sort of perfect point of the island where you could see 
at least half of the island. Um, and what else did we shoot there? Lots of the laneway stuff. The the, um, the fort, the kind of wall that they sit on towards the end is is a famous Iron Age uh, fort from like actually maybe pre-Iron Age, it's like 3,000 years ago, I think, called Dunangus. Um, and we also shot on Akil Island, which is the more sort of mountainous um, part of the movie with the beach where uh, Brendan's house is. Weirdly, that house is actually there. Um, we just kind of did it up with a thatch on and filmed inside of it. And so when you set it afire, was... We, that was the beauty of cinema. So, in other words, when I, I noticed at the end credits, there's a number of visual effects, and this feels like an effectless movie. Just real wonderful performances and powerful story and yeah. incredible location, but... It, a, few, a few little things. I hate to spoil it, but, um, yeah, but we, didn't, we didn't set fire to anything in real life, uh, and we didn't kill any donkeys, so that's... Well, all right, speaking of that, you've worked with animals before. Um, yeah, and they always seem to die. I don't know why. Uh, it seems so. <laughs> what, what the, the, it can be quite a challenge. No, I, I love them. Like Jenny, Jenny it, it, her name in real life is Jenny too, um, was a, a dream, you know. I, I, uh, I'm not sure if Colin liked her that much after <laughs> she kicked him in the knee. But, um, but yeah, just like this beautiful little creature, Every time, like she would come on set, the, the crew would just just stop and, and pet her, and she was just just a dream boat, a slight diva, but uh, how did the you only one we had on. on how set. did you find her? Um, casting call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really wonder what she, she sent in a tape. Um, <laughs> we worked together, and as yeah, it's, she improved a little. Um, no, we we met. <laughs> literally like a year before because we were sort of delayed with COVID a little bit so we met a couple but she was my like dream one um, and then COVID happened so we weren't sure if we could, could afford her and then met some others but Jenny was always the one so we met Jenny again and she was perfect. Well, sometimes when you work with animals they often tell the truth and therefore it's a challenge for your performers. That ever occur here and how? Um, Colin says the same thing that you know, people talk about working with children and animals and he, he loves it because of that, because of, of their simplicity and their truth. And that's kind of what we're looking for f with this. It's all, it feels almost like the story is seen through their innocent eyes, like these two, you know, terrible male, whatever they are, um, these, these guys uh, uh, are going to war and they're just throughout the film and it gets more and more towards the end, just kind of looking at them with incredulity and concern and in fact that. you bring them up like the cow looking through the window near the end of the piece i mean they really seem to be and the animals within the, the uh, farm itself yeah yeah i i love i love those days because like when you write a piece like that you're not sure if if it's safe for them or you know so you speak to animal wranglers and all that after the fact to and i would have changed it if it had been problematic but I, there's something so kind of peculiar about a horse being inside a real house. It was, it was just and letting them go where they chose. And then a little baby calf as well. Um, and you wouldn't, I didn't know if they get on, <laughs> um, but they, they really liked each other. And just, we just let them just roam around the house at will. And I love that moment. There's, I'm not sure if you noticed just at the end while Colin is, is doing the sign, the horse comes up and knocks over Jenny's little bell. 
which is you know a complete accident but um i just it's my favorite moment i think in the let's talk about the issue of accidents oftentimes some of the best things that we find were we wanted to happen but somehow something else happened that was even more unexpected and added to the piece did that happen besides this incident would you say that that the fate was playing in sometimes I mean, I wouldn't say in a massive way, but there's one little detail uh, when the two guys are on the beach in the middle of the film. um, And it was written that sort of uh, Colin would sort of give Brendan a hug and he would shrug shrug him off. And I think we did that in a couple of the takes, but in in the one that's in the film, it doesn't even get to that point. So Colin goes to do it and Thingy's already kind of reacted to it. And it was a two camera day, so we got both sides of it. Um, And that was kind of perfect it's so much better than what was written um because they just reacted to this non-hug um and the line stayed the same but that that i i I love that little touch coming from theater and knowing the value of rehearsal and these two actors you've worked with before what was a rehearsal process for this movie um same as with all the others sort of two weeks um um just talking the the script through with all all of the cast um and um, just, I, I always use that time pretty much to sort of just tell everyone why I wrote the whole thing, what, the, what I feel the scenes are about, hear what they think uh, their characters are, and, and come to some kind of uh, uh, agreement about all those things, I think. So it, it, it's more about, it's not even so much about going through the scenes, it's sort of coming to uh, an understanding of, of where we start when we start shooting. And in describing these characters, besides obviously what was on the page, what did you add to get them to perceive what you've perceived? Because both of these characters are are totally different from things they've ever played, even with you. And so I'm wondering, what was your development of character with them so they could get to the character you had created? Um, I mean, they're both such great actors anyway that they, you know, came with a a lot of it. You know, um, Colin knew how sort of sensitive and decent and full of love this guy was. Uh, we, we, we tried not, when it's written on the page that he's being insulted for being dull or dim, we definitely we didn't want to overplay that or make him some kind of simpleton. So, so that was something to agree upon before we started. Um, with, with Brendan, um, it was interesting that uh, just this whole, whole idea of how harsh he was being and is that, you know, we... we sort of decided that he's actually at the start in that first scene when he says, I just don't like you no more, that he's actually being overly tough. You know, he's not that actually that uh, kind of person. He, he's uh, uh, being overly harsh just to get it through. It's, you know, better to rip off the, the Band-Aid in one rather than to let him down gently. And it's, it's weird that the, the problems sort of start arising when he's a little nicer the next day and tries to explain it calmly um that's where <laughs> all this shit happens um so it was kind of coming to that that kind of um point of view with brendan also he, he brendan's initial impulse was that this despair thing would sort of grow and carry through through the film but we when we talked about it we kind of found that all of that had sort of been done before the story starts the sort of um, darker, almost suicidal nature of where he's at happens before the first scene. And it's actually making that threat. I mean, getting rid of him is what sort of saves him. 
at the start of the film. And then things start to get better. And it's only in that end sort of confessional scene after the donkey things happened that things go back to the beginning of the film. In this, uh, oftentimes, since the we meet and they they meet they all of us meet these characters for the first time but of course they have their history they have the prior circumstances that got there which is what you're saying the despair of this character did the two of you really discuss what that was i'm talking about potentially in rehearsal um about the despair uh not too much not too much we we, we knew it was there but um I, I'm not, I'm just kind of a bit too lazy to come up with much backstory. So I uh, sort of leave it to the boys um, to do that. But, but no, it was, it was I, I, the things that he talks about in the film is, is you know, wasting time and, and feeling like a, 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 he's lived a, an empty life. Uh, the attempt at art and it not going well and all those things. Um, loneliness are all there before. But, these, but, but at the start of the film is, is the savage of a saving of himself. With these two actors, sometimes you were working with actors that actually are the characters often on camera. What was the experience here, I mean, particularly with Brendan, dealing with that? Well, one of the interesting things with Brendan was, was uh, he is a fiddle player. And so but both of these parts were written for, for those guys. Um, it probably shows. But also Kerry Condon and, and Barry Kogan, those parts were written for those two actors too. But um, I knew that um, Brendan is a great fiddle player. So uh, uh, that was completely written for, for, for that aspect of, of him. And in fact, he... Or when he read the script, he said, can I have a go at composing the tune in, in, the, in the movie? And um, I said, well, Carter Burwell's on board. He might have an issue with that. But I kind of knew that uh, if, 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 if I definitely wanted him to have a try at it. And I kind of said, let the best tune win. Um, uh, knowing that if Brendan came up with something good or great, character-wise, it would be you know, perfect for him. He'd be playing his own tune and having, you know, come up with a tune as, as the character does. And he wrote something and it was just perfect. It's exactly what we hear in the, in the film. Um, so I had to tell Carter that um, he could concentrate on the other stuff. <laughs> when you are dealing with sort of real breakdown moments, Colin has at least a couple of them, I'm interested in where you are and, you know, how much you're asking and how much they're giving and we have there are two of them and they're wonderful moments in the in the film yeah i mean it's a very sort of sensitive uh aspect of 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 our relationship i suppose it, but I, I it we sort of discuss it in rehearsals in as much as we we know that that's a sad breakdown scene and it was written quite especially that on the horse and cart that scene is very kind of clearly written um you know how, the place he needs to to get to, but we don't really. I, I'm I kind of leave it up to left it up to Colin as to how he got there on the day, how far he he would go. We kind of knew it was he would need to sort of go far. It was the sort of most heart wrenching, heartbreaking moment of the film. Uh, in that the 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 death of Jenny bit, it was more you know there was less to talk about. It was just exactly what it, whatever happened on the day. Um, I, I, I wouldn't give Colin too much direction on the, on the day of that, that horse and cart one. I know he sort of listens to something. We, we, we're never quite sure what it is, but he got into such a beautiful but 
but sad state. Um, so you just know as a director not to do that too many times. Like not, to, I think we had like two to three takes of that and, um, just and since there. you did use two cameras every now and then for that particular scene, did you? Or do you remember? Um, yes, but it, I think it was because it was on a, one of those trailer things. It was like sometimes straight on Brendan at the same time as across uh, Colin and vice versa. So, that, so you could cut around it um, or just stay on Brendan as a cutting point. Let's talk about the casting of Dominic. And particularly the proposal scene. Can you talk about that? Uh, well, I've loved Barry Keoghan um, for, for a few, I mean, he's very young guys, but I've been watching his work for the last um, four or five or six years. He was in a really good Irish TV show called Love Hate a bunch of years ago. Um, I think that was the first thing he did. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, he was astonishing in. Um, Dunkirk, too. I mean, he's just an incredible face and incredible sensitivity as an actor uh, and I just love that scene with with uh, Kerry at the end at the at the uh, waterside the proposal or whatever however you'd call it um, but again you know it was it was there was not too much direction you know we with him it was like before shooting we talked about you know I think Barry wanted to bring sort of an autistic or Asperger's quality or, or Tourette's-y kind of quality almost to it. Um, and it was just kind of grading how far to, to go with that. Um, and, but I thought it was a great idea. Um, and there were remnants of it throughout the film. And I think it's, he found the perfect sort of balance. His timing in that scene is pretty remarkable. Were you, as, as, as a witness to this, do you remember how you responded? I, I remember it being heartbreaking, just, you know, the close-ups. As I was saying to you earlier, it was like the last day of shooting. It was rushing to, to, to get it done before nightfall. Um, and uh, having done the, the end beach scene that morning, we, we, we rushed up to the lake and uh, had to shoot this in like three hours or something. Um, and he just nailed it on every every take, you know, just, just, just taking that time for the heartbreak to, to cross his face when he says, um, uh, there goes that dream. It's just, I, it's, I think it's my favorite, one of my favorite moments in the film. For you as a director, what were the most challenging parts for you as a director? Well, weirdly, I think, I don't know if it's just it being the fourth one, but this, this was the most fun, most, uh, easygoing part I think partly because I knew almost all of the actors um beforehand I'd worked with three of the four leads Kerry Condon I've I've known for 20 years she was in the original Lieutenant of Inish Moore 20 years ago um and I've known how brilliant she is all those years um and I'm glad she she's you know she's just knocking out of the park with so was one. there a challenging scene for you Yes, there's it, that when uh, Colin gets angry in a bar, I think was was the hardest. But more, I, I have problems with like big kind of crowd scenes more than anything else. Like just you know, what the hell are they supposed to do? You know, um, or ha how to work the cameras around them. I get m kind of more nervous on those days than on um, days where something important is needed between a couple of actors. Um, 
and you storyboard your movies. Um, what's the relationship and how you show that to your production designer as well as to your cinematographer? How does that work? Well, they laugh at my storyboards every time, but still a couple of, a couple of ideas get through. Um, this, this was a weird one because of COVID somehow we, we, we met in a house in Galway, me and uh, Peter Cohen, the uh, first AD uh, production designer, Mark Tildesley and Ben Davis, the DP just to go through the storyboards to, to talk through every scene. Um, and it's a, it's a process I, I sort of love because it's the first time I get to, I guess, explain the vision and the tone and, um, and to part of it is like narrowing down how many shots we might need of, of the hundreds and hundreds of boards that I do. Um, but just to, to get a sense of tone um, and image, it's, it's the first time to, what do you mean by that word? I mean, I know, but what do you mean by the it, word? A tone. Yeah. Um, just to, I guess, to, to let them know it's not like a straight comedy, for instance, that the, the shot choices are, you know, if it's, for me, this is almost more a bit more of like a John Ford Western. So like a lot of the storyboards had shot through doorways of, of, of uh, the action or windows or, you know, all that kind of search and stuff. Um, so as opposed to, you know, simple, what you would do for comedy, um, and, and it's that sort of stuff that we discuss, but then also work just after that, we, we went and sort of location scouted and then came back to the storyboards and it would be a lot about, you know, times of day, what would be the best time for a scene we'd go through, which scenes would be okay in the rain, which would be really best with, with, uh, you know, sunsets, etc. But we also designed the houses, um, so that we could shoot inside and outside, uh, at will if the weather outside was good. So, or bad. Um, so the, the pub was placed, we didn't just find a pub, we built a pub on the perfect sort of, um, length of road, uh, cliff road in, in Ackle Island. Um, but built it so, if it was nice outside, we could shoot the out, outside scenes on a whim or go inside if it was uh, raining. And how was the weather treating you? For the west coast of Ireland, I swear it was the best summer. This time last year, it was the best summer I've ever, ever seen. It felt like the gods were conspiring in our favor. Um, uh, it's it just a dream. You know, those sunsets, I'd never seen sunsets like that in Ireland before, like clear, clear skies. Um, just, just beautiful. We were almost hoping for, for, cause there were some scenes where we needed some rain and, uh, there was none to come by. Did you add it? Um, no, we, by the end, we, 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 we grabbed, uh, grabbed a couple of rainy days. The war that's going on across the bay. Talk about what you knew and what they knew. Uh, in terms of the actors or? Well, just the, the whole, I mean, you, you chose this time and this story could have been yesterday too, but you didn't do that. True. Yeah. I guess there's like metaphorical or mirroring aspects of, of, of that war between two parties who, who the year before were all on the same side. And, um, the differences between those two sides were sort of negligible in, in a way, um, not to reduce it too much, but they were literally brothers fighting brothers. Um, and that mirrored obviously the, the foreground story. Uh, also this idea of how things can get worse and worse and unforgivable acts can come into something that seems like a, a petty squabble between men. 
did you ever think of going there and having that part? Like when you were writing this, did it ever come up the idea of maybe I want a scene of that itself? Or did you always know you wanted a distance and then kept it? Always, always wanted distance. I didn't want to be too heavy, heavy handed about that whole thing either. You know, you can know a bit about Irish history or not know anything and, and have the film, I hope, uh, resonate. Um, and yeah, not, I didn't want to sketch that in too heavily. The, the, the environment itself is so stunning. Um, and it sounds like it, it was three or four different spaces, not just one that we feel it's one. Is that correct? How many, how many different spaces were you in, locations were you actually in? Uh, we had the pub, um, and we had the, a church. Uh, that, so that was a real church on Ackle Island too, and the interiors were in that church as well. We bought, built the confessional in, in the church. Um, uh, it was a Protestant church, I think. They wouldn't have let us, uh, I don't think they'd have let us uh, do that shit. <laughs> I in, was uh, just wondering if the Apocalypse would have come out. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, we needed, needed the Protestants' help. Um, thank you, Protestants. Um, uh, so, uh, so we built Porrick's house. Uh, we built the whole, the jetty and Mrs. McCormick's shop was, uh, it's a real jetty, but it, there was nothing else there. So that was Mark designed the, sh the shop and um, we cleaned it up and added, you know, boats and nets and all that kind of stuff. But it was in like this perfect, the, the, the landscape across the water was, was perfect. So there wasn't too much. There was something kind of architecturally interesting about the, the port, but almost nothing there. Uh, that scene in the church when he goes to confessional and and and, and he, he, that particular shot when the priest comes out. Do you remember when that evolved and did that evolve at the moment? How I, I think that I didn't realize it was going to be quite as funny um, as as it turned out to be. Um, uh, David Pierce, who plays the priest, is a great actor. I don't know if any of you saw my short film Six Shooter a few years ago, but he's the guy who stabs the cow um, before it explodes. Um, going back to your first question about animals. Um, but um, no, I, I think we had two cameras at the moment and one was just capturing, I think, the, the, the people waiting for confession. So I didn't even, re and it was more for um, Brendan's journey out. But the comedy moment of him slamming the door open was, was just on the day. Now, the issue actually of what, audiences laugh at and how that influences you know in our history of movie making it often would show movies to audiences and see what what works what we thought was funny what we thought wasn't what's been your experience with that where you know you believe this is funny oh that didn't go over or you didn't expect this to be and it did um uh well i, I think i don't really mind if jokes don't work because they're sort of there for, for the truth of the line anyway. Um, so, so I don't think I'd ever take something out uh, just because it wasn't working as a joke. Um, but for this, I, I think it has gotten a lot more laughs than I thought it would, uh, at least in the first half. Um, but there, there have been a couple of screenings where, where you could almost have, have given a few extra frames after the joke because you can't hear the, the the setup of the next line, which is a good place to to be in. But um, no, I'd never really change or temper something. Who do you screen it for first? Who, who do you show your pictures to? Your, this picture. I'll, 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 we we start. I like friends who who can bring like some strangers. Um, so to get like you don't want just the friendly opinion. You get some some 
people who are uh, less, uh, it's more objective about it. Um, so maybe like 12 people for the first cut um, and again a few weeks later, see what comes out of that. Um, before, this is before any kind of studio uh, notes, stroke, interference. I mean, being such a fine writer, um, when you get into the editing room, you are about to rewrite your movie. What got rewritten here in that editing room, if anything? Um, it's it's more just about cutting cutting scenes that, that don't serve the, serve the purpose or serve the plot. In fact, just going back to that, you know, the, the Friends uh, viewings, I think there was like probably a two-hour, ver- this is like 145, I think, a two-hour version uh, that we showed to people, um, very first rough cut. So, um, it wasn't something I set my heart on, but, but it's, and at that stage, I kind of thought, I can't quite see what I would lose here. But as soon as their, um, notes came back and they're all very positive, but you could see basically it's like, we love it, but get to the, that point 10 minutes earlier. Um, and those are great notes, I think. Uh, it, it's good to, to hear because it's, um, uh, it, it's not anything anti the film. It, it's, it, it, it helps. And, and as soon as you hear that, you, you, and, you know, who do you like in it? Who do you not like? Who do you want to see more of? Who don't you understand? All those questions. Um, and as soon as I heard that, especially the pacing thing for the first like 20 minutes, it was just so easy to cut out extraneous things that didn't serve the plot or those characters. What were some of those that ended up on the editing room floor? Um, I mean, they'll, they'll, uh, well, there's no on. editing room floor anymore, but that's an old <laughs> phrase. Sorry. <laughs> there, there was, um, sort of a little subplot of, of the, the um, uh, Porrick going to his parents' grave and leaving some flowers on, on, on the grave, um, and seeing the policeman, uh, from a boat going like this to him, but all that stuff is sort of there anyway. Maybe less so much the parents thing, but on the the gravestone you saw that they died on the same day, which kind of was in my mind was something kind of suicidal in the background, which which I, I, I can still see the shadow of it in Porik's behavior and in in Siobhan's behavior too, but I don't think you need that. Uh, in a way that's tech, so that's prior sources, history that they know. And yeah. they just do talk about it, so we know about that. Uh, the policeman, um, and that scene when the policeman has his uh, son come in with stealing the bottle, I, I just want to know, did he know in advance this is, or was he it did. his idea? He did. It wasn't, definitely wasn't his idea. Oh, that's all me, sorry. Um, Gary, Gary Lydon, he's a great actor. Again, I'd worked with him. He was in the original Cripple of Inishman 20 years ago. So all of these, these actors I'd, I've sort of worked with either on, on a short film or, or plays for like years and years. So I guess we had a history <laughs> enough for Gary to go, okay, well, I guess I'll get my clothes off. Um, but, um, but you just have to be very sensitive on those days and, you know, um, make sure they're, they're, the actor is respected and, and the crew is, is, is you know, uh, can't. so like lots of dressing gowns in between takes and, and um, gentle notes. Gentle notes. The um, just the last image here just has to do with the color, because the color seems to almost be a character in this movie, and I'm interested in hearing whether that was a lot post production color timing. Uh, you know, where were you on this? Um, and Ben Davis, I think, did an amazing job. The DP of this, I think, is such a beautiful film. Um, um, so he, he, there was. A lot of it was on the day, you know, um, the, the, the costumes were, 
were designed um, to to enhance those things, you know, the, the yellow jacket and the reds. Um, uh, but uh, no, there was a, there was a touch of it in the grade, but a lot of it was literally, literally, we didn't do you know too much post. Well, um, we're all quite glad that you were benefited by all the forces that make a movie really good, but mostly by your force of making a really good sub movie. So thank you so much, Martin. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 